Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery, and I'm excited to have Rob Chawley, who's the co-founder of Quanto, uh, which is an all-inclusive, hassle-free solution for driving an electric car, uh, where you get all the benefits of car ownership with a long-term commitment. Uh, Onto has raised $175 million from Ivy League investors like Candle Hill Capital and Pollen Street Capital, among others. Rob has done his master's in mechanic, mechanical engineering from Warwick uh, uh, Management School. Wel- welcome to the show, Rob. Hi, Great to be here and um, thanks for having me. Awesome. So, you know, uh, you do have an interesting journey because you, you started mechanical engineering, you, you started, you, know, you worked in Land Rover and then you went on to build onto and how did you get your start in land land rover and you know what made you start onto yes i mean i i launched onto after working for nearly six years at jaguar land rover so so i actually uh, trained up in mechanical engineering like you said and and joined as a graduate at, at jaguar land rover and yeah had had the benefit of seeing a lot of different areas within a bigger automotive organization um, and, and I mean, it culminated in me being the, the product strategy and innovation manager, which was looking after JLR's electrification strategy, kind of way back at, at the point where no one really had an electric car out other than Tesla and the Renault Zoe and Nissan Leaf. So, so right at the kind of origins of the, the car manufacturers thinking about it, they so really saw and, and, and had the, the real opportunity to experience how amazing EVs were back then and, and actually saw the, the real opportunity to, um, to, to launch something that, that made it easier for a consumer to move across into it without having to finance a car when, when electric cars generally at that point were costing more uh, and ultimately uh, more flexible so that the, the fear of, of changing into an EV um, was kind of taken out of your hands because you weren't having to commit to buy a car outright or, or for multiple years on, on a lease deal. So, so that was really what excited me about electric vehicles and, and why I ultimately left Jaguar Land Rover to, to launch onto. Uh, got an, uh, interesting that you, you were able to work on electric cars uh, partner in Land Rover, but the Land Rover going to make some uh, you know, interesting electric car vehicles. Uh, or are they still in the in the phase of uh, you know uh, manufacturing these cars? Yes, yeah, so, I mean Jaguar launched the I-Pace, which was actually in terms of premium cars outside of Tesla, they, they were the first mainstream kind of premium manufacturer to bring out an electric vehicle. I, I can't remember when that was, probably back in 2017-18. Um, so yeah, that that was the first car I, I worked on in in terms of as part of the electric vehicle um, strategy, and and I'm sure having left um, five years ago now, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of cars that that will be coming out from them. I think I think JLR have committed to being or Jaguar at least an all electric manufacturer by I think it's 2025. So. Uh, alongside pretty much all the big um, European car manufacturers, they're, they're making commitments to only be electric vehicle um, kind of producers from, from kind of within five to 10 years, which is a massive transition in a very short space of time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and do you think it's because of, uh, uh, you know, companies like Tesla and uh, BYD, uh, which have led to this revolution, 
and and also why uh, why why do you think in ten years time uh, will there only be electric cars or in Europe would you would car manufacturers be allowed to uh, to make you know petrol and diesel cars as well? Yeah, so it's a it's a great question. I think Tesla and BYD are, are definitely a, a kind of well two different regions, but leading the the drive. It, it's funny you mentioned BYD because we we actually launched onto which back then was called Renty um, using BYD. So so we managed to get twenty BYDs, and and that really was. Um, the reason that I, I felt confident to, I guess, quit my job and, and launch something a bit different. They, they were used as taxis rather than um, kind of to, to retail customers. Um, but yeah, it got the model working for, for subscriptions. And again, yeah, the, the Tesla and BYD back then were, were probably the only cars that had 200 plus mile ranges and, and were kind of proving to, to more of a mass market um, audience that, that they could actually kind of be be a, a real life um way to transition w- without the hassle and and the kind of compromise that that people probably thought back then when the cars were only generally doing 100 to, to 120 miles range um but yeah i mean it, within the uk the the legislation demands that there will be no new um no new cars built outside of, of electric from 2030 so petrol and diesel cars will be banned from from uh uk roads from then new new car sales anyway uh, and it's similar across most of europe so in, in my view I, I think the transition will happen quicker than than people think because if there's a ban coming in from 2030 are you really going to go out and buy a petrol or diesel car in 2028 for example the the, the transition is kind of half being forced by by the legislation, but also, I mean, we, we've seen, especially through COVID, there's been an acceleration of people wanting to move to electric, wanting to, to I guess, have better air quality and that, that they've recognised when, when cars were off the road for a longer period of time with, with lockdowns. Um, so, so I think it is driven a bit by legislation, but it's also driven by consumers actually wanting it and... Um, uh, and it being kind of customer-led as well. Uh, 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 you know, Uber and Ola have been, uh, uh, you know, great uh, uh, disruptors, especially in the transportation industry. And, uh, you know, uh, do you think uh, millennials and Gen Zs are looking to uh, not buy uh, cars uh, and looking to uh, take uh Ubers and taken into, into the subscription model. Uh, is it more of a generational um, uh, lifestyle consequence, or do you think you know people from different generations are also not looking into buying uh, buying their own cars? Yeah, I think for sure is it, it will be partly a generation thing. I mean, our, our customers are, are generally slightly younger than the the people who would buy a car outright would be. So so we have a lot of, um, I guess, millennials, like the the kind of 25 to 40 year olds, that that would be our key market. I think when when you go beyond that and and get into Gen Z, it's going to be even more extreme. I mean, you've seen with probably the, with with license plates around the world, that the amount of people actually taking driving licenses is, is decreasing year on year. So, there's definitely a move away from, I guess, the traditional car ownership approach to, to having Ubers or, or actually subscribing to a car. 
Correct. And, uh, uh, you know, you, you've uh, recently uh, raised $175 million raise. Uh, how, how would you advise founders uh, today when uh, with the big rounds are on offer? Uh, should should they take the money uh, or, or wait? Uh, uh, you know, what, what is what is the thought process when you look at, uh, you know, fundraising? Uh, I mean, it, it's tough, and I mean, we we started with with no money, so we we didn't leave uh, and kind of set the business up with with a check there. We we kind of bootstrapped for the first year or so uh, of our existence, and then raised a, a small angel round, then then a VC round, and and it kind of built up from there. But I mean, it's always going to be a challenge. Do do you want to take as big a check as possible? Um, the the this potential massive advantages or disadvantages with, with doing that and and ultimately it's, it's very hard to get any kind of investment so uh, I think as if you can get the venture capital investment that that's that's the main thing that, that you should be striving for I, I think in terms of what what we found is it, it's about demonstrating traction in unit economics and and we we've never struggled for traction we've always had a lot more customers coming to us than um than really actually vehicles that, that we can get hold of with, with the speed of growth that uh, we're, we're still growing at 15 to 20 percent month on month okay. um, but the, where the the flip side of that is that there was definitely a focus for a number of years um, on kind of just growing at any any cost and and that's definitely not the case now and and I think yeah, especially um, with, with the next kind of phase of growth um, for us, unit economics are, are super important. And, and yeah, that, that can't be forgotten when you, you're kind of going to, to do a big race. Today, I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. All right. And, uh, you know, when you're looking at growth and expansion, are there other components uh, also to be considered when making the decision to, to raise... Uh, 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 funding round. Yeah, so I, I think, I mean, ultimately, what most people are raising for is because they're they're running out of cash, and and that yeah. will always um, be be the main driver. I'd say for for ninety nine percent of fundraisers, um, and the, the, I guess there's different strategies of, of when you raise and and how desperate you might come across for for the money and. Uh, and at the flip side of that, um, how much you can prove if you get further down the line. So, so it's always a bit of a, a gamble, I guess. What what we learned, especially through COVID, is that you can you can really stretch your money when you have to. Uh, and uh, phrase in the UK, it's it's not over until the fat lady sings, which is a bit of a random phrase. But uh, it, it definitely felt at times as we've been growing that. Yeah, the fat lady was very close to singing, but but she never did. You can always find a way through, and and I think that's probably biggest advice with with fundraising is just be resilient with it because you you'll be knocked back a million times before you actually get the the term sheets and the investment come through. Got it. And uh, you you know from from a product perspective, uh, you know how do you, how do you get to decide what needs to be done. Uh, uh, you know, in the next phase and what needs to be done later, uh, how do you get to make those decisions? 
Yeah, I think how we try and structure our decisions of, of what is the most important it is really driven by what, what our values stand for. And for us, it's always been uh, to make sure the customer experience is, is as good as possible. So, I mean, we, we very much, I mean, our solution actually was, was app only for until six months ago. And actually we reached a scale where we thought it wasn't probably um, sustainable with, with the fact that cars have to go into dealerships to be repaired and, and the dealerships ask for keys and then we have to send keys. So remote unlocking and accessing your car and, and having a, a completely digital solution where there's no even key handover was actually how, how we launched the business. And and that, I mean, we, we launched as an MVP and, and it never really got to be a, a full, a, the, the MVP has just been developed and developed. And and I think for us, the, the driving thing is always if the customer experience is good enough. And, and that's what really drives most of our product development. As long as the customer isn't affected, if, if it's a lot of manual work in the background for our teams, um, we'll, we'll generally take that decision over sacrificing something that, that will put the customer kind of at an inconvenience. Got it. And, uh, you know, does the prioritization process uh, change over time, especially uh, when, you, when you're in the beginning stage and when you have taken, you know, growth capital, uh, how does the, you know, prioritization process change from there? If, it, it definitely does change. I mean, uh, I, I think back when we we started and there were probably five, ten of us, even up to 30, um, you, you can get away with, with quite a lot. I mean, last month we, we had a thousand car deliveries and um, and that is now, I mean, we've got all the, the structure and the supply chain in, in place that, that's very scalable. It could be a thousand, it could be five thousand, it could be ten thousand a month and and we'd be okay. But I guess back in two years ago, if we had a thousand cars, I mean, we, we were doing most of the stuff ourselves. I mean, when I very first started the business, I was washing cars. I was on 24-7 phone line with Dan and my co-founder. Uh, we, we were kind of onboarding people and, and going through and completing their registrations for them. So, yeah, the, the level of, I guess, interaction you, you have, changes over time with, with scale. I, I think for, for us, where there's, there's actual physical cars, but I think prioritization does as well. I mean, it, you, you just don't realize until you're there, the, the challenges that scaling up will bring. And, and it's a completely different challenge and a completely different priority at a certain scale in, in, in growth to, to when you're kind of at the start as a, as a startup. Got it. And you I want to talk about uh, talent um, acquisition and, uh, you know, what are some of the biggest lessons you learned when it comes to acquire uh, A players uh, in your team? I mean, it takes time. That's probably the, the biggest thing um, we, we've learned that, I mean, to a certain, to a certain level, um, hiring talent will, will almost become a, a roadblock for, for your growth because it, it always takes longer than you think it will and, and when people have notice periods and especially at the market at, at the moment the the market for for hiring talent is, is so is so tight and fierce so um uh, i think yeah having a good process is important so that you, you actually i guess save the, the most amount of time. I, I think as for, for a founder and, and early em employees, it's to get 
A players. It's absolutely about trying to convince them that your business is, is actually something they, they should give up a, a far more comfortable job normally and a far more safe job for. So, so I, I think while in the early days, it is very much about being able to sell your business more than um, about actually, can you find the right person? Um, because yeah, it is a gamble on anyone who's very good um, to, to come and join you when, when it's the early days. And, you know, I've been part of uh, early teams of high growth startups, but uh, but do you believe uh, individuals can scale across company stages, especially from C to A to B? Uh, and, you know, what what uh, need, uh, what sort of help does a does an employee need to, to scale up uh, as from a generalist to, to, a, to a specialist and handle a pain and role? Yeah, I think it helps to have a, a good advisor network around you, and it, it always helps to to hire someone better than than you underneath. So, I mean, I, I think that goes across the board that that we're not going to be hiring people that that we think we could do the the job of. That they should be better than us, um, kind of in, in the role that that's reporting into you. So, so that's important, but it, it's definitely a, about a growth mindset as well, and not growth in terms of the the business, but it's about making sure you hire people that that really are prepared to, to go on the journey and to learn a lot of new stuff and, and be in some ways kind of making it up as they go along as well. But if, if the framework of the right attitude, the right skill set, and um, I, I guess the, the right kind of background is there, then um, you, you can you can make up for a lack of experience of actually having gone and, and done it before a lot of the time. And, uh, you know, how would you uh, describe your style of leadership uh, today, especially, you know, since uh, you raise your funding from, from the bootstrap days, what's been the change in your leadership style? I think I'm fairly autonomous as a leader. So, so I would leave the teams and, and I would have a lot of trust in the, the teams to deliver. And I think that goes across all of our management team. We, we would be very trusting, collaborative, but, but autonomous. We, we need kind of self-starters in order to get the, the growth that, that we are getting. Um, and I guess that, that is a big change from when, when you start things up and it's just you or, or there's a couple of you and, and you're having to do everything, you've got control over everything. Uh, and I mean, now, yeah, the, there's elements of the business which, which I would have so little visibility on what's happening. And, and that's something I think as, as you get into more scale up, you, you have to recognize and be comfortable to let go of. And you know, you know what what elements uh, have you found the hardest to 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 scale into as a leader? Oh, as a leader, or, or in the business? Yeah, I mean, as a, as a as a founder, you know, what what's been the hardest for you to to scale up? Uh, yeah. Oh, that's a good question. I I think. Um, I think it's actually the the change in dynamics that comes as you you get a bigger business. So as much as I'm comfortable letting go of the control of, of aspects of how the the business is um, is changing, it's a whole different kind of I guess role that that you get into. I mean, I, I spend probably more time talking to to our investors and. Um, 
and kind of the, the next level of investors or, or finances or banks um, than I do about anything to do with the customer proposition and, and the uh, I guess the the internal business. So so that's a, a strange transition to go through and, and kind of a different um, again different type of skill set that that you need. Um, uh, but yeah, aside from that, it's um, it, it is challenging making the transition of of giving away control and and seeing a lot less of of what goes on. But it, it's something you have to do in terms of. To scale the business up and not to be personally involved in stuff and as a, a leader you need to go from actually doing stuff to, to managing people more. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan. Uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I work for, uh, for a founder called uh, Ritesh uh, Agrawal, who, is, uh, who did not have any operating experience, but went on to, to build a, build a deck account. Uh, you know, uh, uh, do you think uh, founders today need that experience? Uh, and, you know, how, how did your time at Landover impact your operating style? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's unique to everyone. So I'm sure there's, there's, uh, there's a, enough evidence of 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds who, who've created these enormous companies and then the, the flip of 40, 50-year-olds um, who, who have, after having built up experience. But I think for me, it, it felt extremely useful to actually have grounded um, myself in, I, I guess, the automotive industry for a number of years before. So, so I think it was hugely helpful um, that in order to get some industry experience and also to understand the culture of a bigger business. And, and actually, in some ways, it, it gives you more of a motivation because you can see how, how big businesses run and 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 some of that is great, and and some of that you you know it's a, a very big ship to try and turn when when they want to try and get into a dynamic new market. So so it's a real opportunity for a startup. So personally, I, I I'm very grateful. I had the experience of working for a number of years before, and um, I probably wouldn't have launched a business if I left it another ten years because I've now got a, a baby at home and and a wife and and the. The challenges, I mean, it is a lot of hours as anyone who, who's got a, a business or started a business or been in a startup will know. Um, so I, I think for it's unique for everyone. But but for me, it's a, a real sweet spot of having some industry experience, but also being young and naive enough to, to just throw myself into it head first. All right. And, and, you know, I wanted to understand who, who are your competitors for, for Onto? Uh, uh, especially in the in the European market. Yeah, I think subscriptions are really interesting one because uh, at the moment, ninety percent of new cars in the UK and, and across a lot of Northern Europe actually uh, are financed. So, so they're bought uh, on finance and, and generally on a multi-year commitment. And the vast majority of those who are in the UK, more than two thirds of those customers never own the car. So, I mean, what what customers are, are doing today is they're they're basically renting a car for a couple of years and then swapping it to another car that, that they're renting for a couple of years. And, and that's what a lease is in effect, because 
to own the car outright at the end of a lease, you have to pay a massive balloon payment, which can be 10, 15, 20,000 pounds, which most people can't afford. So I, I guess our competitors are, I mean, the, the raw subscription companies um, kind of forming all over the place. And I, I don't see them as, as competitors as much because I, I think that's where the industry is going. I, I see actually the, the, the old leasing model as, as the true competitors to us and, and the thing we're really trying to disrupt. Got it. And, you know, I wanted to understand about, uh, about unit, uh, unit economics uh, and, you know, what is the pricing model uh, for, for the subscription uh, thing that you, you, uh, people can subscribe on or not? Yeah, so I mean, we our, our cars start from three hundred and thirty nine pounds a month, and and go right the way up to kind of over a thousand pounds for some some big premium SUV electric cars like the Audi e-tron and and Jaguar I-Pace. Um, uh, in terms of what that's made up of, so the, there is no deposit, there's no long term commitment, and that includes your car insurance even public charging so in the uk there's more than 12000 public charges that you can you can pay for, uh, that, that you have included within your subscription and don't have to pay for uh, and servicing and maintenance as well so it's one flat fee that covers everything uh, it, it's obviously we're, we're trying to remove the hassle for the customer but also make pricing more transparent so uh, we, we are pretty competitive on pricing. We're, we're taking uh, a lease deal out, but everyone has always got to, to look at the total cost of ownership. Uh, and that's really, I guess, where, um, where, where it is quite interesting because a monthly flat fee um, it is very transparent. You, you'll often see advertised some amazing lease deals for a really low monthly fee, but then they have a £5,000 deposit up front. You've got to pay fuel on top of that. Uh, you, you've got 5,000 miles a year rather than 12,000 miles a year, which is what we include. Uh, so it's really up to the customer to do the maths and, and recognize that, that for the vast majority of customers, it is, um, it is worth the money. Got it. And, uh, did, you, did you have to uh, impanel with all the electric charging companies uh, uh, for... Uh, uh, for for onto and uh, uh, and does does the person get on to own the the vehicle after a period of five years or or, or, or a certain time period? Yes, I mean we we partnered with all the charging providers. Yeah, so so that I, I mean it's it's BP, Shell, uh, Instavart, and Tesla in the UK uh, are the networks our customers can use. Um, but yeah, in terms of how the model works, no, a customer won't own the car after any length of time. The, the real beauty of our model is it gives you the ability to change car whenever you want. So you're not locked into one car. Um, you've got all of your fees included, but actually yeah, after a year, if a new car comes out that, that actually you fancy or you just want to change or your, your lifestyle changes and you might have children and, and decide you need a bigger car you, you're not locked into something for, for multiple years so so the real benefit is it's kind of moving away from the traditional thought of ownership to, to more of a model that, that's more aligned with um with how people kind of transact in, in their day-to-day life and, uh, uh, yeah, I, I was wondering what is the you know customer acquisition channels and uh, you know how did you get to have your first you know hundred and first thousand users 
Yeah, I think, I mean, we we were very lucky to get a lot of word of mouth early on. And, and I think that that's still kind of holding true. Um, so, I mean, we offered a referral scheme from from very early on and, and found that that worked incredibly well for us. Now, now that we're a bit bigger, we're we're going down various other more traditional channels as well. Um, but we've been incredibly lucky to grow fairly organically and, and with a lot of word of mouth. Uh, and I guess, yeah, the the real thing we're we're trying to do is is prove that there's value. And and if you can really get the the customer value to the customer and and give it a great customer experience, they will sell it to to other people because. Yeah, most people will, would change to an electric car if it was as convenient for them because they, they know it's better for the environment. They know it's the future. So, so it's about getting bums on seats and, and people to, to realise the, the benefit for themselves and, and then spread the word. Connor, and, uh, uh, you know, you recently raised $175 million. Uh, what is the money to be used for? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a mixture. So it, it's for, for scaling up our operations in, in the UK and, and looking to, to international expansion and hiring a bigger team. Um, uh, and yeah, a proportion of it for actually buying the cars through through a debt facility. So so it's a mixture, but it's ultimately for for, for growing at the 20% a month that, that we're continuing to grow at and making sure that we got the team in place um, to do that and, and that things won't start falling apart when we're at a bigger scale. Got it. And, um, uh, you know, uh, I was interested uh, in, in your model because you you used debt and equity to uh, for, for raising the fund, but uh, are there any implications of using debt uh, versus equity when you're looking at uh, raising uh, a funding round? Yeah, I mean, I think debt is becoming um, more and more, uh, well, I guess less taboo as a as a thing to to do and, and raise for, for founders. I mean, for us, it's, it's fairly straightforward because we, we have to buy cars. We're, we're not going to impress our, our VC investors if we buy cars with, with their money. So, so the, the debt is needed for, for that aspect of our business. Um, but I, I think it's, debt is becoming more and more talked about with, with founders and startups. And I mean, it, it's obviously non-dilutive. Um, so if you can do it, and, and especially on, on some of the, the kind of uh, recurring revenue business models that are built up around it, um, it, it obviously comes with its, its risk, but uh, it, it's a great, additional tool to, to actually help you grow. Got it. And, uh, uh, you know, with, with, uh, uh, you also talked about that you um, you are in the UK market. Are you looking to expand into, into other markets? And, you know, what does it take to expand into, you know, uh, into different markets internationally? Yeah, so, so we are looking to expand internationally. It's, um, it's probably slightly premature right now but but yeah we we will be from from kind of late next year and and the year after looking and and moving into to some of the european countries i i think may there's a lot of considerations that have to go into it from from actually how you operate the business how kind of your structure of the company in terms of where where employees are going to be based but 
also is bigger than that in terms of is the, the same cultural fit, the same product market fit in those new markets. So we're, we're cautious to make sure when we enter new markets, we've actually done our research and, and it's the, the same, uh, I guess, the same benefits and, and the same problem that we're solving for the customer. Got it. And I, I was just curious, you know, which other markets other than UK do you think uh, are uh, uh, are robust for uh, for onto to expand into, especially when it comes to electric cars. Uh, you know, uh, people looking at electric cars as their as main primary vehicle. Yeah, I think most of northern and western Europe uh, is kind of following the same transition. The UK is the the UK's one of the leading com- countries within kind of Europe at, at doing that. But but I think they're all following a similar transition. I think. Uh, the US is um, probably speeding up a bit more with the change of administration now as well. Um, yeah, and, and similarly, probably, well, definitely out in Asia too. But it's probably a, a bigger shift for us to go out to Asia and, and not one in, in terms of kind of product market fit that, that we'd be comfortable with just yet. Got it. And, uh, you know, I quickly want to do the top three. What's a favorite business book? Uh, I, I love um, Zero to One, um, which is probably a very generic answer you hear a lot. I, I think, to be honest, I love all biographies. And so I love the Elon Musk book, the, the, the Steve Jobs book. I mean, I, I probably try and get through one or so a month and, and find, find it fascinating to actually read about leaders. But, but just one book on its own, probably Zero to One. And, you know, if you could go back in time when you started Onto, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? I mean, I think I, I was probably, well, I was very naive to, to what is involved with the, the startup back when, when I started it. I, I think always um, one lesson I've learned is that higher sooner than you think. So, I mean, um, probably I, I would have started trying to bring a team in sooner um, and kind of, like you said, the, the A players um, sooner than, than you think you need them. Um, that, that would probably be something it would have taken a bit of stress off, off the, the team if we'd have done that. Got it. And, uh, do you have any favorite online tools, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom, anything other than Nondo? Yeah, I mean, we use Slack a lot, so it's probably again a very, very common answer. But, but yeah, I, I personally love Slack for for business stuff, and we probably use it a bit too much and <laughs> and need to to have more formal channels at times as well. Yeah, I think after the COVID, I've started using Slack a lot. Uh, it's a very useful product to use. Uh, so we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Rob, what is the best way people uh, people can reach out to you and know more about Auto? Uh, I think if you follow onto on on LinkedIn or or Instagram or or any of those um, the, the kind of social media platforms that we're we're often kind of yeah explaining what's going on and and what our plans are. We've also got a community page and and I will quite actively talk on, on that. So if you you go onto our website, which is just on dot two, so it makes it very simple. Uh, the, the community page is a great resource for being able to reach out to me or anyone else on to, but also for, for being able to engage with other uh, other customers and, and EV owners who, who just want to talk everything about electric vehicles. Correct. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. Rob, uh, uh, thanks a lot for taking our time. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Yeah, same. Thanks for having me. Great to speak. 
Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.